Have you ever taken the time to consider what you're building? Seven years into my entrepreneurial journey building Rebel Business School, I looked around me and we had a team of 12, a franchise in New Zealand, a burgeoning global business that was taking more and more of my time to manage. This wasn't what I planned for my life. I built it because it felt right at the time, but it led to something I wasn't expecting. Are you building a business that you actually want to earn? Are you building a business that you actually want to own? Is your business going to give you what you ultimately want to get out of it? If you don't know what you're heading for, you're heading for something else. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to a brand new season of The Rebel Coaching Series. This is where we take entrepreneurs and help them make progress and you can listen along, learn on the journey and uncover what really it is like to be an entrepreneur. And in this season, we've got someone back who's been on the podcast before. You will have heard him in season one. You will have heard him in season two. Back with us is Keith Hunt from Redheaded Tacos, and he's out to build a brand new business. Keith, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Good to be here. And it's been a while since we've spoken because... You've been off doing military things. That is correct. Yep. I've been gone for about five months playing soldier. <laughs> <laughs> so you did your mini experiment with the restaurant. You sold the tacos. You had a huge amount of fun. Then you packed up, moved across America and joined the army. That is correct. I know it sounds pretty crazy now that you say it. <laughs> but yeah, it was all part of the bigger plan. You know, the restaurant was going well. It was just starting to take off. People from towns, you know, 10, 15 miles away were starting to come and see us. But, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I, my ultimate goal was to support my family, provide for them and create a potential opportunity for entrepreneurship. And so, yeah, part of that was joining the army, and uh, now I've got nice, solid healthcare options. Uh, basically, as long as I'm in it, and very inexpensive. And so, yeah, it's kind of playing the long game, you could say. <laughs> yes, which the American audience will understand your healthcare desire. The British audience won't understand at all because they'll be thinking, "We have the NHS. What do you mean you join the military yeah, to get healthcare?" Exactly. But. In America, you have to pay a huge amount for healthcare. So by being part of, which part of the military are you part of? So it's the army, but it's the reserve. So basically, instead of doing active duty where you're a full-time soldier, I go basically one weekend a month and about two weeks a year for an annual training. And besides that, I'm just a regular civilian working my regular day job. And that gives you benefits to have healthcare for the whole family. Exactly. Yep. And you can still, uh, you know, if you stay in 20 years, you can still get a partial retirement and a lot of the other same benefits as being active duty, but for a lot less work. So, <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. So now you've done your initial five months of training, you're back, you're at home and you're thinking, what's next? Do you still have your full-time job? Like, give us an overview where are you in life? What are you thinking? Job, life, family, house? Like, where are you, Keith? Yep, exactly. I got lucky. I reached out on Facebook when I relocated. We legitimately had no plans when we moved. We only had about a month between making the decision and actually pulling the trigger. So yeah, we were kind of just rolling with the punches. And my sister forwarded my info on to a friend whose husband was a uh, engineering manager at a small company here in Phoenix. And Basically, they wanted to interview me right away. I got the job, worked there for a couple months. I told them I was joining the military. I thought they would turn me away immediately, saying I was going to be <laughs> gone for five months. But they uh, gave me a shot. I worked there for two months. It was a mutually beneficial uh, for them and me. And when I got back, I jumped right back into it. So, yep, I'm working full time as an engineer. And like you said, I'm uh, looking to get back into the restaurant game, at least in my spare time. So. 
in your spare time around a full-time job, one weekend a month in the military and seven kids. Uh, how much spare time do you realistically have, Keith? If you squeeze it really hard, you know, you can get a few drops out of your schedule. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what's leading you to want to do this? And I'm, I'm dead serious now because you have so much going on in your life. Like, What is leading you to do this? I would say a couple things. One, I am just excited about it. I get passionate about it and I'm just kind of following, you know, as they say, uh, you know, following your passions. It's just every time I think about it, plan for it, uh, just gets the heart racing, you know. So that's part of it. Uh, The other part is because, like I said, uh, in the long run, I'd kind of like to be my own boss, uh, be able to control my own time so that I can be more available to my family, to my kids. So that's kind of what keeps me going, keeps me focused, makes me want to pursue something like this. Interesting. Interesting. So just a rather silly question, but I'm assuming you have, you like your kids. Do you yes. like your kids? <laughs> That's safe to say. Yes, I do. That's safe to say them. So you enjoy spending time, time with them. <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to be 100% of the time. So you enjoy spending time with them. Definitely. Because I genuinely believe there are people out there that take jobs that have long commutes, lots of hours to get away from their kids and their family. And starting a business is not easy. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. And this is something that will take you away from your kids in the short term. I understand the long-term picture, Mm -hmm. but let's be perfectly clear here. Getting to the stage where you have a business that runs, that gives you time, is not a quick journey. It's not always an easy journey. It is possible, but it's not quick and easy. And have you heard the the revolver test, Keith? I'm not sure that I have. Let's hear it. So the revolver test is the difference between self-employed and a business. Mm-hmm. And if you fail the test, you're self-employed. If you pass the test, you're a business. Okay. The basic test, like, I know you're American and you're in the military, so please don't actually do this. But <laughs> metaphorically speaking, you take a revolver and put it to the head of the business owner mm-hmm. and pull the trigger as a thought experiment. And with the business owner gone, does the business survive? If it continues to operate, then it's an actual business. If it doesn't, you're Mm self-employed. And that's where it gets really interesting because if you're self-employed, you need to keep putting your time, your energy, your effort in to keep the business going. If you're a business owner, you've got people who run it for you. It's systemized. Things are happening. It's set up online, whatever it is, but it's running for you. And that test, that test, I spent two years wrestling with just me being able to pass that test, let alone my business partner, Simon. It's not an easy test to pass. And I just like, I know we've gone straight into this, but I just wanted to start with, if you're truly serious about building a business to start with, it's going to take you away from your family. And is that actually what you really want? Does that line up with your values? Does that line up with who you really are? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something I struggle with myself. And it's something that comes up a lot in the financial independence groups. You know, people say you're working so hard for this independence, but what are you sacrificing, you know, in the meantime? And uh, I actually kind of came up with this little uh, parable, you could say, that I think kind of brings us home. I I was uh, thinking, you know, let's say there's a man who's got kids and they come down sick with some rare disease. It's, you know, terminal disease. And he goes on a quest to try to find the cure. And he... Uh, is gone for, you know, a decade only to come back and find that his child, you know, has passed away from the disease that he was going out trying to find a cure from when he could have stayed and spent, you know, that precious time with them. So yeah, I do understand my time with my kids at home is limited. And so I do try to keep that in mind. I try to take advantage of the time I do have at home. One advantage, uh, maybe as they get a little older, they have shown interest in wanting to be involved with the restaurant. So then I can maybe kill two birds with one stone, spend some time with them while growing the business. <laughs> well, I think this is really interesting when you start to actually look, what do you want out of a business? Because different businesses will give you different things. And to give you an example of that, I built Rebel Business School because I was passionate about helping people build businesses. And I felt the best way to do that 
was to go into the community, find the actual people, run two week long physical courses where so I was there in their community helping them. And that's what I sold and that's what I built. What I never thought about was the consequences of what I was building. Because I was building a business that took me around the country, around the world, and away from my wife. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't at home. I was staying away five days a week. I was getting up at 5, 6 a.m. on a Monday morning to drive somewhere and coming back at 6, 7 p.m. on a Friday. And I didn't realize, actually, I built a business that took me away from the person I most wanted to spend time with. Yeah, exactly. But there are businesses I could have built that would have been different, but I never really considered that. And actually, I just ended up building that business because I was cool. And then (laughs) about seven or eight years in, I'm going, okay, now I've got a team of 12 people. Now I've got a company that's large. Now I've got a company that I have to feed. I have to travel around the world doing. This is not what I imagined. This is not what I thought I wanted to do with my life. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is, we need to be more intentional, Keith, <laughs> with what you're doing. Don't make the mistakes I've made where you just build something because it's cool and you're excited. Yeah. Build something intentionally. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, um, I mentioned the Facebook group that I was a part of with for restaurant owners. And uh, I had actually posed a question on there relating to the same topic. I said, I always hear about how many hours they're working. You know, I'm there six days a week, you know, 12 hour days. And then I occasionally would see one where someone was kind of implying they were living the good life, you know, on the beach, whatever. And I said, okay, I want some opinions, you know, realistically, is it possible to use a restaurant business as a means to basically achieving financial independence, time independence? And of course, you had the ones that came back saying, no, no, you're going to work yourself into the ground, you know. But there were a few that said, oh, absolutely. You know, I'm working 30 hours a week. I basically only check in when there's a problem and it all depends on how you set up your systems, getting the right people in place. And so, yes, definitely that's going to be my focus from the beginning is keeping that in mind. But uh, like you said, it is easy to uh, get distracted uh, with the here and now, not keep that end goal in mind. So yeah, definitely plan to at least try to always keep that in mind and put those systems in place so that I can achieve that ultimate goal more quickly than later, hopefully. So let's go with that question, because I think this is a really important one. Everyone listening should answer this. What do you want out of your business? What do you want to get out of it? And then we can discuss how long it will take to get there, to get that out of it. But what's your list, Keith? What do you actually want out of running a business? What do you want it to give you? I would say, uh, like I mentioned earlier, my ultimate goal would be time and financial independence. And along the way, I'd like to uh, get joy out of creating something from nothing, whether that be like my day job where I'm creating products or in this case, creating a business. And, uh, you know, I like the idea of hiring people, providing income for other people and putting smiles, you know, on customers' faces. But definitely my ultimate goal would be to get that time and financial independence or my family. So. so I love those goals. You've got sort of five very clear things. Two are long-term and three are more journey goals, I would say. And you've got this difference of the thing that quite often people build businesses because they want to be financially free, but they forget that it's going to be a long journey. And they forget that really you need to enjoy the journey. Like if you're going to dedicate years of your life to building this thing, well, you better have fun along the way. Otherwise, you're sacrificing the now for the future. Exactly. And there is always a way, there is always a way to have fun along the journey. Like, it's not all going to be fun. Don't get me wrong. It might be 80% fun and 20% stuff that you have to do. That's always going to be the case. But the majority, you can have fun along the journey to the dream goal. Then you're not deferring joy for a later place. You're having Mm -hmm. fun along the way. And I think that's absolutely critical. So your ultimate goals are time back with the family and financial independence. But we don't want to sacrifice the now to get those things. Like we don't want to sacrifice the next 10 years of being with your kids because by the time you do that, they will have grown up and they won't be wanting to hang out with you anymore. They'll be teenagers who (laughs) want to go out to the cinema and stuff. 
But if we can set up a business that aims for those two things and you have joy out of creating things on the way, you have fun hiring people and creating opportunities for other people, you put smiles on the customers' faces and maybe your kids can help you. Maybe they're part of it. Maybe you can spend time with them. Maybe you can bring food home for them. I don't know. Maybe there's some way that you can tie these goals in so that we're not sacrificing the now for the future because building a business has a cost. There is a cost. Actually, any goal you want to get has a cost. And I have this thing of, are you willing to pay the price? Because you can have pretty much anything you want in life if you're willing to pay the price up front and in full. And I know you're willing because I've watched you do it. Um, it's just <laughs> yeah. realizing what the cost is. And let me give you one short example, and then I'm going to ask you my question. My short example is, I got into stand-up comedy, Keith. I loved it. It was great. Oh, nice. I started writing jokes. <laughs> I started enjoying it. I got to find that on YouTube. <laughs> my first ever stand-up comedy sketch is on YouTube. Oh, wow. Yes. So if you want to see what I was like back in the day, you can find that. But I joined a comedy class. I was going up to London once a week, and it's an hour's journey, hour and a half's journey up, and an hour and a half's journey down, and I was doing it. And I started to realize the cost of becoming a good comedian was to go up to London five, six times a week and to do sketches, sets on the circuit and to put myself out there. And I was still working in the day at that time. So I'd be working in the day and I'd be doing comedy at the night and it would be taking me away from my wife, Katie. And I'm pretty sure I could have become a comedian if I'd really set my heart at it if I'd have really done it. But the cost was time away from my wife when she had a job during the day and I'd be working at night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was unwilling to pay that cost. So I stopped. And I learned in my spare time, don't get me wrong, I read the books, I put jokes into my presentations, I did everything I could. <laughs> like, I had a great time, but I wasn't willing to pay the price for what it was. And I think so many people set out on quests, on missions to do something, to build something without truly understanding what they need to give up to be able to do it. Because I believe like you are a smart cookie. You've got skills. Everyone listening to this podcast, you're learning, you're smart cookies, you're going to do something, but there is a cost. Absolutely. Um, I get very excited about entrepreneurship and let's go for it. Let's build it. Come on. But you've got to realize that takes energy and time. So I guess we haven't even decided what the vision is yet of where you go, but I just, I don't know why. I really feel as though you and the people listening to the podcast need to think about the cost of following these dreams and whether we actually want to have it or not. What does that make you think? You know, the first thing that came to mind when you're talking about that was the fact that you said you, you know, you came to that realization and then you stopped. I think that's a good thing about at least starting with the mini experiments is it gives you the option to stop. And, you know, even if you go all in, you know, if your family time with your family is what's most important to you, then really, if you have some monetary losses, you know, for getting out of it sooner than you thought, there's always a road out. And I think you got to keep in mind from the beginning, they talk about in real estate, you know, having a uh, exit strategy, you know, when you buy a property. And so I think if you have at least one exit strategy, if not multiple exit strategies from the beginning and keep that in mind, you know, and constantly remind yourself so that you don't feel like you're stuck in it for eternity, but that there is opportunity to get out if it's not helping you fulfill your goals or if the cost is too great, like you said. Yes, because you need to keep checking in on the journey. There's this thing called zero-based thinking, which zero-based thinking is knowing what I know now, would I still start... <laughs> what I started, mm -hmm. like I've been doing it for a year. I've been doing it for 18 months. Knowing what I know now, would I still start it? And if the answer is no, then you need to get out as quickly as possible. Yep. If the answer is yes, then keep going because you enjoy it. And Katie and I actually do this regularly. And we ask ourselves, knowing what we know now, would I keep going? So I'm, I'm on season two of the podcast and I'm now doing two episodes a week, Keith. Mm, and wow. <laughs> this is a lot of work. Who knew yes. running a podcast was this much work? And I've got Choose FI behind me helping me. Like those guys are amazing. I love them. 
but this is a lot of work. So I asked the question, and we do this once a month. We ask the question, like, are we happy with the direction we're going? And knowing what I know now, do I still want to keep going? And the answer is yes, at the moment. I love it. I'm helping people. I'm making a difference. I'm doing it. There is a cost of my time, my energy, and my passion, but there is yes. So it's checking in along the way. And anyone listening to this, do a quick check now. Knowing what you know now about your business, your mini experiment, your podcast, your blog, your project, would you start it again if you had to? Yeah, that's a good point. And to go along with that, there's a fancy name for it, which is escaping me right now. But in business and life, it's basically where you evaluate where you're at. And some people make the mistake of wanting to continue on with what they're doing because of all the work they've already put into it. Even if they've already realized it's not the best path to be on, they say, oh, well, I already put this much time, this much money, this much effort. You know, I would hate to see all that go to waste when really they could be applying that same effort into some other project perhaps that more aligns with their goals. And so really they've lost the passion, but they're just, you know, hate to see all that effort gone to waste. So that's something definitely need to be cognizant of. Yes, which is called sunk cost fallacy. That's what it is, yep. The fancy name. But basically the idea is you've sunk all of this energy, time, money, resource into a project and then you've got to a certain stage and you don't really want to continue it, but you don't want to give up everything you've put in. So then you're stuck doing something you don't like because of past actions where really we should just go, okay, like we could apply those resources to other things. Let's find something else. Yeah, and it's a fascinating one. So look, on your specific project, do you have options? Because when we're talking life design, Keith, the best thing you can have is a huge number of options. Because then you can look through the options and go, this one takes me away from my kids. This one gives me more time with kids. This one will lead to financial independence. This one helps me create. But it's having an entire bunch of options. Because most of the time, what people do is they get excited about the first thing they think of and they get stuck on the first option and then they go for it without ever considering the side effects, the consequences, the cost, or the fact there's other ways to do it. So the more options you can have before you dive in, the better. So my question to you is, what options are you currently thinking of for what's next for you? Do you have a list of options? Do you have a plan or is it just a restaurant? That's the singular focus. No, there's definitely options. That some of these are more just different methods of getting a restaurant off the ground, but they could still apply to you know, your question as far as options of uh, time commitment and things of that nature. But first one that comes to mind, like I was doing back in Ohio, is some type of mobile kitchen, You know, whether that be food trailer, food truck, tent, doing events. I have talked to several people in the... Uh, festival business that basically work you know six months a year and they make enough in that six months a year to go down and live in their vacation property in costa rica you know so that's <laughs> definitely an option and something i've considered so that's one another this probably comes with the same amount of time commitment but it's a new trend you could say thanks to covid19 it's become more popular but it's the concept of the cloud kitchen or sometimes they call virtual or ghost kitchens and essentially restaurant normally has the front of house where you've got your waiters uh, servers you know receptionist and um, all the tables where customers go and then you have the back of house where they're making all the food basically the virtual kitchen you're removing that whole front of house all the expense and logistics that go along with that and you're just focusing on the uh, making the orders and essentially it's a carry out or delivery only model and so it definitely has less startup costs and less cost to keep it going and so that's something that i'm looking into and based on what i'm seeing so far it comes with some added flexibility sometimes with you know the terms of the lease the length of the lease things of that nature so Yep, that's another kind of unique option that I think could help me uh, get off the ground a little more quickly, test it out. So Interesting. Okay, so we've got the mobile kitchen, we've got the cloud kitchen, which I think that's a fascinating thing. And I, I don't know what the 
hygiene certificate regulations are like in the states you're currently in but in some places you can get your home kitchen certified to a standard to be able to start doing that yourself and that is an interesting model and you even started i remember from the last episode you were starting to get customers saying can you freeze this stuff so that i can have it at home yeah exactly and you were start you had all sorts of opportunities coming up there have you considered that as an option yeah i definitely considered it especially after listening to the last episode again but i think one thing i enjoy most about the restaurant is being you know face to face with customers and you know seeing the big family come in and order giant amount of food and they say they're taking it home to have a party and just you know imagining them sitting around at their table pulling my food out of the boxes and you know knowing that I had something to do with that so prepackaging it and freezing it sending it out to people doesn't have that same allure to me you could say but it's definitely something that you know maybe it wouldn't be my whole business but it could be uh, part of my business that helps me to reach that goal that we talked about earlier Yes, because I guess what we're looking for is where do you next start? Because you mentioned a moment ago leases on kitchens and you're looking at leases on kitchens. What do you have to sign up to there? Like, what have you been looking up? What have you been finding out? Yeah, I can. I got a list here of these different options I was considering. So the cheapest and least amount of commitment. Um, I actually found a food trailer company, food truck uh, manufacturing company locally that essentially has a couple trailers that they'll let you rent on like a weekly basis. However, I'm sorry, they they do have a six-month minimum contract, but you basically pay them on a weekly basis. Okay. You know, you take the trailer, you park it wherever you see fit. The caveat to that is the health department does require you to have what they call a commissary where you have to take your trailer or food truck every night and you have to have a log, you know, proving that you were there every night for plugging in your trailer, keeping the food cold, and for extra food storage should you need it. And so that's kind of one hiccup I'm having right now. I'd like to have uh, you know, a food trailer in my local town here. However, where I live, it's about 15, 20 miles outside of the main Phoenix area. And finding a commissary in this particular part of town is uh, turning out to be a little difficult, but I'm not giving up on that. I've gone around asking different businesses that I think may not find me as direct competition. So I went to a coffee shop, I went to a shaved ice restaurant, and you know, of course, the manager, the owner wasn't there at the time, but I left my information. I'm going to be following up with them and saying, Hey, you know, wouldn't you like some tacos out in your parking lot to compliment your coffee or your shaved ice here? So that I kind of see as the cheapest, least amount of risk option at this point. Um, yeah, basically the guy only wanted about $100 a day times six days a week. So about 2400 bucks a month with a, like a, a $5,000 deposit. So relatively inexpensive considering, you know, you're basically still launching some type of a restaurant. So I think the one thing you've done there that is very smart is you've looked to talk to other businesses that aren't direct competition. Because I think so many times people think entrepreneurship is a solo sport and you've got to do it all yourself. Whereas actually, if you do it with other people and you can help them be successful and they can help you be successful, it's unbelievable how much progress you can all make together. So I think that's incredibly smart to look at those other businesses, Keep incredibly smart. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say one more thing on that. I was, you know, thinking to myself, how can I find a commissary around here? And he said, well, I've seen a few food trucks in the parking lots, you know, of the grocery store here. They, if they're operating legally, have to have a commissary. Let me just go chat with them a little bit. So I said, well, I feel a little weird just walking up. I mean, hey, do you have a commissary? So I'm like, uh, here's an ice cream trailer. Let me just buy a little thing of ice cream. I'll just chat with the lady, you know, while I'm standing in line here. So I just asked her, I said, oh, you know, I'm an aspiring food uh, vendor myself. Just curious, do you guys have a commissary around here? She says, oh, yeah, yeah, we have to have a commissary, you know, for the guidelines. But um, ours is over in Phoenix, and they just happen to be in the town for that one day. But she did share an important piece of information. She said, oh, yeah, our uh, health inspector was very helpful. She um, recommended a place to us, you know, in the area where we were. And so I was like, ding, ding, ding. You know, my 
my $5 ice cream cone paid for itself. So I've been trying to contact the health inspector, the health department, and I haven't been able to get through on, on the phone yet, but they either should have a list or, you know, if I ask nicely enough, they may, may tell me some vendors in the area, you know, who they're using. So we'll see how that goes. Well, I think that's very smart. And actually, that's the process of research, finding the people who are actually doing it, finding the people who can help you. I think that's an incredibly smart way to do it, Keith, is doing all that research and doing all that learning first, because then we can understand what are we actually getting into. And this is what I always like to do. So with this particular one, and we've been doing this ourselves. So finally, at the Rebel Business School, this is actually why we had to change our name from Pop-Up Business School to Rebel Business School is we're going to take on a permanent building in London. Mm, so we're going to have our own okay. building, our own permanent business school, and you can't call a permanent building pop-up business school. just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, exactly. We're no longer a pop-up. But the exercise I did with Henry and Simon and the team was, what is the downside? So how long is the lease we're signing up for? When is the break clause of the lease? I.e., when can you get out? How much a month are we putting in? How much are the taxes? How much are the expenses? How much are the people? And you can see, like, my mind is racking up dollar or pound signs as we speak, going, this is a lot of money. And I worked out how much money I would have to commit until the break clause. So this particular food truck you've said has a six-month break clause. So you have to have it for six months. It's going to cost you $2,400 a month, six times $2,400. So it's $14,400 just for the trailer. And that's without insurance, yeah. without the commissary and the other stuff. I'm sure there's going to be fees you're going to have to pay as you go. So I guess what I'd be thinking is, like, what's my downside? And the downside to this project is fourteen four plus the other fees. Yeah. Deposit as well. Deposit. So if it didn't go well and I just end up parking the truck somewhere and handing it back after six months because I just I couldn't do it, I'm in for like twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars. Yep. And then the question goes, you know what question I'm gonna ask next. Can you <laughs> afford to lose that? Yeah, that's a that's a definitely a good point. Um I did ask the gentleman who owns this business. You know, thinking back to my former experiences with the many experiments, I said, you know, let's say it's not going well after two, three months and it's apparent that it's just a total flop. You know, do I have any recourse for getting out of it and breaking the lease early? And he's he's really nice guy. He's like, you know what? I'm a business guy. You're a business guy. I don't basically want to screw you over. He's like, my job's not to screw you over. My job's to help you be successful. And he said, if it's not working out for you, obviously, like, we'll work something out, you know, to where you're not locked into it. So probably it would still come with some amount of penalty, probably lose some of my deposit, something to that effect. But um, at least in this case, you know, he did express willingness to allow me to break that lease early if it wasn't working out. Obviously, I'd want to get something in writing in the lease, but, you know, it may not be the the end of the world. Um, on another option that I was looking at, I think on the cloud kitchens, um, I spoke with the specific company on that and they essentially just said if I pulled out early, they would just keep my deposit essentially. So yeah, may not be in for the, you know, that full amount, but still going to have some type of penalty. Tell me about the cloud kitchens option. This is the bit, what do I need to know? Yep. I looked at two different options. Similar, I guess, as far as the concept. Obviously, location and how they work is going to be a little different. One of them is essentially like a food court, like you'd see in the shopping mall. So customers, they can't actually eat there, I guess, but they can come in and there's a nice lobby and they can order from five different restaurants if the family, you know, all wants different things. And then it all comes to them in one order. So that's kind of nice. Like you just make the food in the back. And I believe they actually have runners that are picking the food up at your little station and putting it all together and giving it to the customer. So I really like that. That one was um, $6,500 a month and a $6,500 deposit. And I believe that was a one-year lease. The other was a little cheaper monthly at $4,000, but the deposit a bit higher at $7,800. And um, 
that one they don't have a, a storefront of any kind it's just strictly delivery and they had actually a option for a smaller lease term with a little bit higher monthly rate so yeah they can do as little as six months on that and then they also take a small percentage of your sales three percent so yeah that just gives an idea of a couple different options as far as uh, that particular concept goes fascinating so here's the question having run the mini experiments how confident do you feel taking something like this on and turning a profit quickly I, to be honest, feel pretty comfortable. Um, that's, you know, the whole reason I'm considering, quote, experimenting again here is because I'm in a whole different market, you know, 2,000 miles away from where I did the first one. So, you know, had I been in the Ohio area, I'd already had that proof of concept and I'd be pretty much, you know, trying to go all in at this point, but still skeptical with it being a new area. You know, in Ohio, it was new. It was unknown. People said, fry bread, what? Over here, most people seem to know about it. Um, like I said, it's a kind of a Native American concept originally. And my fear is that, you know, it's so common that even though you can't find them in restaurants much, you know, people make them at home, whatever, that it wouldn't get that same, oh, wow factor. You know, it mm. reminded me there's a Mexican fruit. I can't remember the name, but maybe you could uh, relate to this. But essentially, here you pay about $10 a pound for this little fruit. And down in Mexico, there's so many, it just falls on the ground. And so there, they can't even sell them because they're so abundant. And so I was having that same fear that, oh, maybe it's like, ah, yeah, whatever. It's just another taco. But I think my concept is unique enough and the branding is unique enough based on the results of my experiment, even though it was 2,000 miles away. I, I'm pretty confident that it would have some uh, good reception here. But just to be safe, that's why I'm looking at these options that would kind of give me some opportunity to experiment before fully committing. Have you been considering going all in on an actual restaurant, Keith? So, yes, I'm glad you asked. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I did look around just to see if there were any maybe spaces similar to the one I found in Ohio where they've got all the equipment and everything. And, uh, you know, finding out there are some very expensive spaces and they advertise as dollars per square foot per year. And you got to sit there and do the math and figure out what that actually means per month. And some of these spaces are 5,000 square feet. And it's like, wow, you know, some big numbers here. But I did find one smaller space and it's kind of in a very, uh, you could say, quiet part of town. However, it's a very wealthy part of town in the info on the space it said that the median salary in the area is like 130k wow. per year and they have this little strip mall where they've got you know a couple little businesses there's like a mcdonald's there's a couple things but it's basically at the end of this main road it's kind of a dead end so yeah that's been vacant for a little while i called the guy talked to him and looks like 4500 a month he quoted me and the deposit is just one month's rent, 4500 And as suspected, the lease term is a bit more at three years. And they want someone with very stable financials that can prove some type of collateral or cash reserve. So definitely more commitment, more cash. But relatively speaking, uh, 4500 for a legitimate restaurant space, you know, is pretty reasonable. I saw some that were seven, eight plus grand and it goes up from there so yeah the cost of these places and then the amount you have to sign up to that i think is the crazy bit like the length you have to sign the contracts for three five plus years to be able to do this yeah that's a big commitment but uh, one other thing i will say this because you asked if i'd considered the uh going all in on the restaurant it actually hit me yesterday i think i know how i'm going to do it and that would be approved by the uh Rebel uh, Business School. So uh, <laughs> I get on the crowdfunding websites a lot. I love the crowdfunding websites. And I've supported several artists, you know, music artists to make their albums. And I thought, you know what, why not crowdfund a restaurant? And it just, it was like a lightning bolt. I said, you know what, this is how I'm going to do it. I don't know the details, but I'm going to look into it, see if this has been done. And, you know, looking around on some of the crowdfunding websites, looks like there's several currently open and past with successful ones. So yeah, I'm going to look into the logistics of it, but 
People were offering, you know, perks for different commitment levels. You know, they would name a menu item after you. They'd let you have a day in the kitchen to meet the chef. They'd give you a year's worth of the food item once a week. Wow. Yeah, I love the idea. And the nice thing is the town that I told you I'm in, being about 15, 20 minutes outside of Phoenix, we're kind of isolated and people don't want to drive 20 minutes to go to eat at a nice place. And there's all kinds of restaurants here, but always, always on Facebook, you see people saying, oh, we need more food here, more restaurants, we need more variety. And there's already, you know, a bunch of kind of more classic Mexican restaurants here. But I think that that gives me a big advantage. If I were to come in really strong with some type of temporary option, hook everybody in and then come back later and say, hey, you all love the food. You all are begging for more restaurants out here. I want to make that happen. Now, how about we make it happen as a community? If you really want it to be here, then prove it, you know, by coming to this site and committing to some level of investment, you could say. Keith, I think that is a brilliant idea. I saw it done for a board games cafe in England. Okay. And, well, you know how excited people get by board games at the moment. Oh, yeah. And people love board games. And there wasn't a board games cafe in this area. So they brought together the community. They got a huge amount of press. People could have, they had all those options. They even had an option with get your name embroidered on one of the chairs so that you could have your okay. chair in a board games cafe, which I thought was very cool. They <laughs> that had the lifetime cool. yeah. membership option and all of the different options, which were great. And I saw them building this and they were a successfully funded campaign. I can't remember entirely what they raised, but it was something like 40 or 50,000. Wow. And that funded a huge amount of the setup fees. It didn't fund everything, but it got them going. It got them off the box. And, well, you're right. Pre-sales is the thing that makes me feel comfortable. Yep, exactly. Because if you've got a bunch of customers who are paying to have you in town and they're pre-buying, they're going to want to come to your restaurant. And then I'm going, okay, we've got a list of people. We've got a bunch of customers. I'm excited when we're thinking about spending all of our money up front without actually knowing whether there's any customers coming or not, that makes me scared. Yeah. When we're talking about <laughs> exactly. signing leases, I am nervous in my stomach. I'm not even the one signing the lease this time, Keith, yeah. and I'm nervous. <laughs> and I'm very nervous about the one we're doing at Rebel Business School, taking on our permanent building. That makes me nervous. And this all stems back to my dad signing leases, my dad borrowing money and gambling the family home against it. And that I never want anyone to ever go through that pain again, me included. So this stuff where you're signing contracts, like signing contracts is a big step and it should be considered as a very big step. My wife and I have a couple of rental properties, studio flats, and one of them was empty. So we rented it out again and this very nice lady rented the property she signed a six-month lease, and then a week later, she sent a message saying, oh, I've been offered a council house. It's a lot cheaper for me. I'd like to leave next week. Oh, wow. And I had to write an email to her and say, look, I know that's better for you, but it's not better for us. Yeah. <laughs> like, we've then got to fill the property again. We've got to spend the costs of doing it. It's a lot of work to fill a property, do the credit checks, do all the stuff, and you've signed a six-month lease. That means I am within my rights, and here's the link to the paperwork, here's the link to the Citizen Advice Bureau, please go and get your own advice. But I'm within my rights to say you still have to pay the whole lease. You do realize this. And she came back going, ah, oh, didn't realize, didn't think. And we came to the thing a bit like you said about the food truck guy, like, okay, give us some time to try and rent it out. Like, I don't want to have a void period, so we're trying to rent it out again, which... We're doing extra work, which I'm not a big fan of, but, you know, we'll help her. We'll find a new tenant. But signing a lease is a big thing, is a big thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's why I think, uh, like I said, being in this town, if I could create a movement, you know, where it's like people felt a part of it and they said, we're making this happen, you know, and then they, then it's not just, oh, there's another restaurant opening. It's, hey, we can bring this restaurant here, you know, they more involvement with it and think about it i talked about in one of the last episodes that you know i'd captured 10 percent of this little town you know 1500 people this town's got 40 to fifty thousand. so 
10% of that, you know, if you take 5,000 people, it only takes $40 from each of those to get $200,000. So, you know, that's, that's some big money right there. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes, which I agree it's a larger market. I'm never a fan of that maths that says the sort of national size of the industry is X million. If I can just get 1%, it's yeah. this. I hate that maths because it's so fictional. It's so made up. Yes. And we've got to start at the other end going, okay, can I get 200 customers? I think I can do that. Can I get 1,000 customers? I think I could do that over the year. Here's my plan, my strategy. But the maths of going, you know, there's 100,000 people in town. I reckon I could get X percentage of them to eat with my restaurant. Like, that's really difficult. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I was just kind of referring back to my first <laughs> experiment. And, um, and that's why I'd like to do something like the trailer here first, because then I could build up my Facebook following, you know, my other social media following and have real customers there supporting, you know, rather than just just like fictional uh, projections. So here's what I think you should do, Keith. Let's come up with the list of here's the 10 options I have got to build this business. And then here's the 10 things I could do to start on a small scale in the next two weeks. And that's my challenge for you is to come up with those list of options. And you're already doing this research. You've already got lots of the options. I'm just going to challenge you to go a bit further because with ideas, the first ideas one has are always the standard ideas that everyone has. When you push someone to go further and go, you've got to come up with 10 ideas, you've got to come up with 20 ideas, well, they're forced to become creative because then it's not standard ideas. Exactly. So I'd love you to get to 10 ideas of how you could start small and 10 options for the bigger stuff like the leases and the different stuff. I'd like you to come up with those 10 options. And then next time we, let's do this again in about a week, a week and a half's time. We'll go through the 10 options and we'll see what you feel comfortable with. Okay. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's always important just to, when you're starting a business, when one is starting a business, one gets excited. You find a lease, there's scarcity mentality. It's like, I've got to sign it now, otherwise it'll disappear. And that kind of thinking is dangerous. We just need to take our time, come up with the ideas, plan it well, think about it and execute it on your time scale, Keith, when you want to do it. So there's no rush. We relax, we breathe, and we do the right thing for you. And I think that's critical. It goes wrong when one jumps in because one thinks one's going to miss out. Yep, that's a great point. And I think I mentioned before, I'm someone who likes to jump in and I do, <laughs> uh, I do get attached to ideas very quickly. And, you know, my wife's the one that just has to hear me out. And I told her, you know, just give me 24 hours probably I'll forget about it and not even mention it. So just don't even say anything, just nod your head. And then if I'm still talking about it tomorrow, then maybe start to lean in. But she will be very thankful to have someone uh, like yourself talking to me off the edge before she has to, <laughs> you know, do that herself. So <laughs> I love that. So there, Keith, is your homework. Are you up for it? Will you come back on the show and discuss the options with us? And we'll work out what to do next. Yep, absolutely. And there was one other thing I wanted to discuss that I thought you might enjoy um, before we get off here. So we mentioned I just got back from my military training. I actually had my first weekend drill, that, as they call it, in the reserves and didn't know if I'd actually be doing any cooking because I'd heard from others that, you know, there's just not enough time in the two days. They just cater it out and you're busy doing other trainings and things. Well, I got to my unit. Turns out they do cook here. And the uh, lead cook found out that I formerly had a restaurant. And I showed her some pictures. And she says she was familiar with the fried bread taco. She says, oh, these look amazing. And then she says, do you want to make them this weekend? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, of course, I couldn't pass that opportunity up. And ironically, I'd actually in the back of my mind thought several months ago, man, wouldn't that be great if someday I had the chance to make these for my army unit? So long story short, we got all supplies, not out of my pocket, of course. And then I made them with the help of the other cooks. And it was a huge hit. We had the commander over the whole unit raving about it, asking, <laughs> what did I put in the homemade queso cheese sauce? And we even have a couple uh, Native Americans actually in our unit 
And they came up to the head cook and said, hey, who made this fried bread? Uh, is this homemade, the actual bread? And oh, yeah, that was Specialist Hunt. Oh, wow. this Yeah, it's great. So now I've got the approval of some actual uh, Native Americans from my unit. So, yeah, that, I thought that was pretty funny. And who knows, maybe that could lead to some more opportunities down the road. It will definitely lead to more opportunities. And the two thoughts going through my head were, if they do cater out occasionally, Keith, can you say to them, next time you're thinking about catering out, just think of me, think of my team, we'll make it work somehow. And that I'm sure you could lead to other military units and find a a way there. And the second thing I thought is if these people are local in your unit, I don't know if they are, but there is an opportunity to go if you want more of these, just give me your email address. And when I open my place, I'll drop you an email with an announcement. And then you're building up your list of fans that you can bring in when the restaurant is ready to go. This is an opportunity. This is capture them, Keith, capture them. Yes. No, I agree. It's funny because even uh, I just show, was showing a few of the guys there some pictures from my restaurant. And one guy actually said, oh, do you have like a social media presence? Where can I follow you? You know, so that once you reopen here, I can come check it out. So, yeah, people are always looking for good food. And especially if it's from someone that they know and trust. Exactly. Exactly. Keith, thank you so much for coming on the show, giving your energy. Thank you for being part of it. I appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. So the summary for this episode, I want you to think clearly of your motivation for building a business. Why are you doing this? Are you doing it to spend more time with your kids? Are you doing it to an escape a job? Are you doing it to make more money? Why are you doing this? Because if you don't know your why, how do you know if that business actually leads to where you want to go? And I think Even if you've already started your own business, it's worth taking time to reflect now. Am I doing this for the right reason? Where am I heading? Is this business still delivering what I thought it would deliver when I launched it? So this is my request for you. What I want you to do is work out, number one, why are you doing this business? Make a list right now of the reasons why you're doing the business. Number two, what are your values? What is important to you in life? I'd love you to have a look and work out what's the five, six, seven things that are the most important to you in your life. Once you've got that, you've got the why and the values. The question is, will the business bring you closer to your values or take you away from them? So this idea you have, the business you're running, the side hustle you're doing, will it bring you closer to your values, what's important to your life? Or will it take you away from? Which brings us on to number four. If the business moves you away from what is actually important to you in life, then don't do it. Do something that takes you towards what is important to you in life. And the final thought is that many experiments give you the opportunity to test these things and the option to stop at the end of the experiment. So run a mini experiment, see if it brings you towards your values or away from them, because a business should enrich your life, not detract from it. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Keep on building the business that will actually make your life happier. Have some fun. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.